Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Is to form a different relationship with our thoughts. There are some specific techniques that do that. My guest on today's show is Scott Anderson. Scott is the founder and CEO of Double Dare, an executive coaching and consulting practice which dares entrepreneurs and executives to fully live their unique talent, passion, and purpose. Hello, hello. Thank you so much, Scott. I am excited to talk to you. Wow, we have so much to talk about and so little time. So let's Looking forward to it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today on Coaching Call. When we think about business, when we think about, I, I guess, the, the way we present ourselves, right? That is the first impact any business can do, right? Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, in a real way, uh, an entrepreneur, most most businesses that start from nothing start with an entrepreneur with an idea and some passion. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, it's the idea and the passion is more of the business than anything else. And what people are buying, uh, and you know this in your career, of course, is that they're really buying you. You know, they may not know very much about where what what the business is really going to be like. So it's really all about you. They buy you literally. Unless you're a big company, whether it's Coca-Cola, Pepsi, any of those big name brands, they don't know who they're buying. They just know the product. Exactly. But it all started with that one person believing in that product, that selling door to door back in the day, right? Exactly. Coca-Cola was discovered by accident. And I think it was a pharmacist who started it, right? I think you're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, I mean, like so many things, we just sort of stumble entrepreneurs in a, in a pursuit of either helping themselves or helping others or both stumble into something. You know, our, our burnout program, for example, my main objective in the beginning was to get through my own burnout to mm. somehow figure out a way to, to get through it myself. So I stumbled around for a while and kind of like the guy, uh, not quite like the guy who discovered Coca-Cola, but, I, you know, stumbled into some things by accident that worked. and. Uh, mm. So that's really what it is, you know, but it's that passion to try to either solve your own problem or solve others' problems that, that is usually the, the origin of, of all of it. When we think about problem solving problems, 
it's for, you know, one of the things I, I always talk about problems and I call them challenges instead of problems, because for me, if you look back in history, every challenge has come out on the other side, right? Every problem, if you will, has had a solution. So it's, it's maybe we don't know the solution today, right? But if, if we dig deep enough, we will. Exactly. Yeah, you know, that's such a good point. You know, when we're in the middle of our own private hell, whatever that challenge is, it's hard to believe. But, mm. you know, when I've, I've coached some people, some business owners long enough to be able to tell them, you know, we've been here before. This has a beginning, a middle and an end. And you're someplace between the beginning and the end. <laughs> but there is an end to it. And there and there that's one of the beauties, really, of coaching people over time is to see that that there are cycles. And um, but there always is an end, a beginning, middle, and an end. And to reassure people sometimes that who forget that it, while they're in the middle of it, that there really is an end to it and will hopefully make it come quicker than, than they would on their own. But still, you're right. There always is an end to it. Yeah, any time that, that we think of, of if we could, and, and literally you go back to history, no matter how tragic the situation could have been, there's always a resolution. If we think of a problem, to me, I always like looking at it. What's the outcome? What is this problem going to bring? What solutions can come from it? And what can we learn? So for me, I, 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 that's why I call it a challenge, right? But be, before we get deep, deep into this discussion, let, let's find out who Scott Anderson is. What prompted you? Because as a child, you could have selected anything. You could have been a car mechanic. You could have, I don't know, had a pizzeria, whatever yeah. it is. Right. What prompted you to go in the direction? If you can recall back in your childhood, where who 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 influenced you the most? Would you, you say? know, looking back and I've, I had an opportunity to do that recently. Um, I'm sort of the product of a family that had entrepreneurs in its history going back generations. And so growing up, uh, you know, my my parents and my uncles and uh, my extended family, my grandparents were in business for themselves. One way or the other, shopkeepers or different businesses. A lot of my family were farmers, which is really a business in itself. And so, you know, these are people that that uh, I was just sort of born into an environment where people were running their own thing. They were, and they, and I didn't know any different. So to me, it was just the way things went. But looking back, that's there were a lot of people taking a lot of risks. They were they had to have you know, confidence to take those risks. But at times that confidence was really shaken. But I just grew up in an environment where that was the normal thing. It was never, no one ever suggested, hey, you should get a job working for somebody. Uh, it was always sort of expected that you would do something on your own. And so looking back, I mean, that really had, I wasn't aware of it at all at the time, but I think that had a real impact on me. Plus, I was always very excited about going back as a little kid. I had a, my earliest business was a shoe shine business where I would go Door to door with uh, in the neighborhood, uh, shining shoes badly as it turned out, but still I was, <laughs> you know. But that was just I was just sort of turned on by that whole idea, and some of it I think was environment. A lot of it I think was probably DNA, and and also just being brought up in a culture in my family where being an entrepreneur was was the norm rather than the exception. Mm, wow, growing up in that environment, wow, that is huge. And some people don't realize that we don't choose our parents. Some people claim they do, 
right? We don't choose our family. We don't choose the environment we grow up in, right? That, that's my belief anyway. But th there are other people who believe that we can choose before we're born who we want to be born into, uh, what family we want to be. And that's that's a whole nother topic. But <laughs> sure. sure. When we are in a situation, and whether it's a situation where you have people around you who are entrepreneurs, who are showing you and guiding you without necessarily saying, this is how you do it, but watching them do it, right? You, all of a sudden, it's like you know nothing else because that's what you learned. If you're in an environment where everybody's a drug user, that's what you learned. And you have to either come out and be a drug user or not be one. Right? Exactly. So it, it's what we do, the actions we take that are going to be representative of who we become, right? Exactly. And, you know, part of being an entrepreneur means that you're, whether you're conscious of it or not, every day you're taking a lot of risks. And, um, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. And, you know, in my family, there was there was sort of an appetite, I think, for risk, a risk tolerance, if you will. But there was also... You know, there was a lot of uh, my my grandfather who started a business uh, selling construction equipment went broke four times before he, in the middle in the middle of the depression, started a business that finally took hold. But he failed. He went through a lot of failure, and and his family went through a lot of hardship because a lot of this happened in the teeth of the uh, of the Great Depression. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there's that memory too that. You know, things can be good, but things can be bad. And it's a real gamble. And, you, and you know, in his life, especially in the Great Depression, I mean, he just didn't know. They, they really didn't know how things were going to turn out. Kind of back to your idea about challenge, you know, they, and in America in those days, I mean, they really didn't know, are we going to come out of this, this depression or not? And as it happened in 1933, when he started this business that finally took hold, it was another, you know, really until World War II. 11 years later or 12 years later, uh, 10 years later, that the, uh, you know, that the economy began to turn a little bit. So, you know, that's the thing I guess I really admire, but I also am conscious of the fact that there's a lot of stress uh, growing up in a family like that. There can be good times, but there can be really bad times too. And uh, you kind of have to, you kind of know that in the back of your mind. Yeah. You know, one of the things you, you talked about was an entrepreneur, right? And I guess you need to understand failure to be a real entrepreneur. Yes. Because <laughs> if you don't get that part, then, then what part are you getting? Because an entrepreneur doesn't just have one business, right? An entrepreneur is always looking for what can I do? How can I make it better? And it's just, just not that one. You can't ride one bicycle and try to pedal 10 different bicycles at the same time. So you have to understand how to create a team to ride those other bicycles. And then you can create that maybe delivery system. So there's, there's your entrepreneur, right? How do we develop into becoming from a mom and pop to a multi-diverse business? Yeah, I think that's the true essence of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you know, the people that I've worked with over time and, and, and in running my own companies, you know, the tension always is how how good can you be and how big can you get uh, before it's impossible to run it yourself, riding all the bicycles. And there's there's usually several different plateaus that I've noticed I went through and my clients go through where they get to a point where they can kind of run it themselves and they realize, no, I've got to add people. And they, they begin to add people. But there's this tension between running it themselves and letting other people run it. 
And there's usually a plateau in there somewhere where they can't get any bigger. The sales can't get any bigger. They can't offer any additional services to their clients because they're stuck uh, in this sort of plateau. And there's always a letting go that leads them to the next plateau and to the next plateau and to the next plateau. And it can feel to the to the entrepreneur, especially who has been through scary times, as we all have, that letting go is absolutely necessary. Letting go of control is absolutely necessary or else you'll be plateaued and potentially fail. But so it's a it's an ongoing letting go process and and a really uh, an exercise in humility, I think, to realize that you can't do it all yourself. And any attempt to do it all yourself past a certain point usually does lead to either the growth stops, the business starts to seize up, or you really begin to suffer. Yeah, one of the things that you you talk about and and you've helped people, and I definitely want to talk about is burnout, right? And we were talking earlier about how a lot of people think that burnout is just in business, but you can you can necessarily let me rephrase that. You don't necessarily have to be in business to have burnout. You can have a high school kid have sure. burnout. You can have a kid in college have burnout. You can have a housewife or a house husband nowadays have burnout because it's it, sometimes it becomes overwhelming, right? Okay. So you help people understand about burnout. Let's talk about that for a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things about burnout is that it, the word burnout has been in our vocabulary since the early 70s when some psychologists uh, coined the term when they were studying um, emergency room doctors and nurses. And what they were actually looking at at the time was uh, what we would today call empathy fatigue, or in other words, um, you're you're in a in a caring profession in a very high stress environment, and what these psychologists were studying were how doctors and nurses over time became so exhausted themselves that they exhausted their ability to to care as much as they had originally, and so they called this today we would call it empathy fatigue, but in those days they coined the term burnout, and basically what it what it meant then is slightly different than the way the, that we interpret it now. The, the, the problem with the word burnout is that it's been used now for 50 years in our vocabulary, at least, and it means a lot of things to a lot of people. But the World Health Organization and the American Psychiatric Association have designated burnout as a bona fide illness, as a, as a disorder or condition um, that has specific symptoms. And what we notice today, especially, and it's true, whether it's people working from home or people who in their homes, housewives and house husbands, students, business people, what have you. There are three criteria the World Health Organization have identified as the primary symptoms of burnout. And um, in fact, we have a online assessment I'll share with you that your, that your audience, if they want, they can take this online assessment to see whether their, their condition uh, parallels the World Health Organization definition of burnout. But the number one symptom is a feeling of disconnection from what you're doing. And this is what the original psychologists and the original study of burnout found was that people who are formerly very passionate about what they do notice themselves feeling really disconnected, not only from the work, but the people they're working with, whether this is at home, in school, or in business. And they feel a, um, a very conscious feeling of separation and um, disconnection from people that they really cared about, not only coworkers, but also the people that they serve. That's one of the, the number one symptoms. The other one is a kind of exhaustion that doesn't that isn't solved by a good night's sleep or 
a restful weekend or even a vacation. It's a it's not just physical, but it's mental and emotional and some would say spiritual, a complete bone tired exhaustion that just doesn't go away. This this comes from being in a in a stressful uh, environment over a long period of time. And part of what happens is that the entire stress reaction chemically in our body gets burned out, if you will, or used up. So we go through the cortisol, uh, adrenaline, uh, chemical reactions in our bodies when we're under stress situations. But if if we're in an unrelieved stress situation, whether in your household or at work or at school, that's basically the definition of and the cause of burnout is to be in a in a stress filled situation that that is unending. And so the result is this bone tired exhaustion. We've had, I've talked to, I had this experience myself. I've talked to lots of people who've had this experience where they wake up in the morning and they kind of say to themselves, you know, I hope I can get out of bed today. I hope I can get up and do this again today, but I'm not absolutely sure that I can. I had the experience myself and it was really, I'm so glad it's in the past now, but it was terrifying at the time, really wondering, you know, I've got to get up and run my business today as an entrepreneur. I've got to get up and do it. No one is going to do it for me. Although now I have a team, thank God, but still, I have to get up and do this and no one's going to do it for me. And I'm not sure I can do it. And this is this is what in working with our clients on burnout, this is what we notice is that they they have this moment where they realize, wow, I am just so wiped out. And and the, the frustrating thing is that, again, people figure, well, I'll take, uh, you know, I'll take a mental health day or I'll, I'll sleep in one day over the weekend or even I'll take a vacation. And actually, we've had clients who have taken uh, week-long sabbaticals or month-long sabbaticals. We had a client who took a six-month sabbatical, but unfortunately didn't touch the exhaustion. So this is one of the hallmarks of, of how the World Health Organization defines burnout. And then the third symptom is, is going from feeling disconnected to really feeling kind of a resentful, negative, feeling a, kind of an act of animosity uh, towards the people that you work with, even the people that you work for, your customers, if you will. Yeah. But this is sort of the, the three primary symptoms of burnout as defined by the WHO and the American Psychiatric Association. And it's unfortunately, it's at an epidemic state in the United States and actually in, in Western, the Western world. Uh, Gallup says that 45% of the American workforce currently reports that they are always or mostly feeling burned out, according to the symptoms that I just mentioned. So it's a it's a serious it's a serious matter. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people don't understand it, right? So, for example, if somebody is they hire someone and all of a sudden somebody starts going through burnout, they're like, you know, and you hear this nonsense of man up. Right. Right. What does that mean anyway? Right. Right. (laughs) So when we think about and you talked about, you know, maybe I, I, I have to run my business. I have to go there. But a, a true person who is thinking later on, how can I not necessarily step away from my business, but how do, and I always say this, how do I duplicate myself? So, you know, I talked about right pedaling that bike right now. I got 10 bikes. I can't pedal them all. I have a hundred bikes, but I still need to pedal my bike. Exactly. How do I clone myself so that I can get my, my clone to ride my bike so I can rest? Absolutely. And I think that that is the key to figuring out burnout, right? You'll tell me better because you're the expert. I'm just, I'm assuming here, right? And you know what happens when we assume. Oh, right? yeah. 
Absolutely. The, the, the thing with burnout, I mean, as business people, we definitely have to create systems and um, processes that will allow us to clone ourselves and to delegate and to grow the business. But mm-hmm. still, you're right. We have to pedal our own bike and that bike changes. Uh, what bike we ride changes over time. But the, the entrepreneur has to continue to ride their bike. And so the question is, how do they how do they do that? And if the answer is not, you know, taking time off, taking a vacation, taking a sabbatical, the question is, the question I asked myself was, so what do I do, right? And the problem is that burnout, the, the reaction that you just mentioned of manning up is exactly the reaction that, that a lot of entrepreneurs use. And it's kind of their ace in the hole, their go-to hack. When they, you know, most most entrepreneurs, if they're in a jam, they either work more or worry more or both, right? And and unfortunately, with burnout, both of those will result in more burnout. Um, so the question is, what do I do? And one of the answers is is that we have to, as I said, the origin of burnout is unrelieved tension and stress all day, every day. And so one of the things that we have to do is relieve stress all day, every day, throughout the day. What most of us do as as entrepreneurs, and I think as Americans, is that we sort of take a deep breath at the beginning of the day, we get into character, we go into work, and then we exhale maybe as we're leaving the office at six or seven. And um, and that just simply doesn't work, right? And that's the unrelieved tension that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. What the science says, and this is the good news, the science uh, shows that there are several evidence-based practices, best practices that that really can help us uh, not only recover from, but actually prevent burnout, but they are counterintuitive to most entrepreneurs. So instead of manning up or working harder or worrying more or whatever, the answer really is that we have to consciously release stress throughout the day, multiple times during the day. And this is really the, it's counterintuitive for most entrepreneurs. We just figure I have to try harder and harder and harder and harder. Um, but that is actually making burnout worse. And that's the problem. The human brain is designed to solve problems, whether it's changing a tire or splitting the atom. Our brains are great at objective problem solving. But when the problem is in our in our minds and, uh, you know, in our mind is saying, um, I just can't do it. Or our mind is saying, you know, you're not really very good at this anyway, or some form of imposter a syndrome or a fraud type of a statement. You know, you're, you've been lucky to this point. This has all been luck, but now the roof is going to cave in. Um, our brains are not designed to solve disturbing thoughts and emotions. And that's really what getting through burnout is all about. It's learning how to release to, to release tension throughout the day, but it's also about understanding how to work with our minds. And unfortunately, trying harder just makes the burnout worse. And this is why burnout, unfortunately, once it takes hold, it usually gets a lot worse before it gets better. Right, so you're multiplying it, right? Exactly. Multiplying the burnout and burnout and burnout and burnout, and, and so it, eventually you implode, right? You, you implode exactly. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, that's what's going to happen, and and people don't understand. And and you know, thank God that now it's it's being considered a disease, something that can actually be medically looked at, right? Exactly. So there are so many stresses. And I think one of the, the things is is that burnout doesn't start all at once, right? It starts incrementally by taking on a little bit more, a little bit more challenge, a little bit more challenge. Well, I can handle it. I can handle it. And then also chewing more than you can bite, right? You're eating with your eyes, right? Exactly. 
if you think of it, right? Somebody who, who overeats, why did they overeat? Because they did not give their stomach enough chance to take the food right. in. They just kept feeding from the top. And when it gets to the bottom, it overfilled. Yeah. So if you think of it that way, this is why people eat with their eyes. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I feel lethargic. Yeah. Because they're not understanding. You can only handle so much in any given day, right? Same thing. You know, I, I, I was um, I, I, one of my business partners. He was telling me he had another business. And the person he's working with kept giving him more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And so he's stressing. And I said to him, I said, you know, have you asked him this specific question? He goes, what question? I said, did you ask him which one do, does he want done first? Because you have four projects going on right. and he just piled the fifth one and ask him in priority, do I put the other four projects aside and just handle this one? Or do you want me to get the other ones done first and then come back to this one? So sometimes we have to stop outside sources from creating that easy to go into burnout phase if we just allow people to pile and pile and pile. And then the other thing is, and I'm sure you teach this, is how do you handle, like if, if, if you work for an office and let's say you have to type up, you know, 200 pages, you're like, I got this. All of a sudden comes lunchtime, there's 200 pages on top of that. By three o'clock, you have a thousand pages and they're like, we need this done right away. Well, okay, which one of these do you need the most? Exactly. <laughs> right? So I, th I think understanding where we are and what we're capable of doing and not overdoing it and just handling one aspect of, of our day at a time. Because I cannot live my tomorrows today, right? I got to live my today's Yeah, time. that's so true. And one of the things we found, it's funny when, I, when I'm interviewing people to see whether they, they're fit for our course, one of the things that I typically find out in the interview is that um, people who are burned out tend to be people, especially who are um, employees in an office scenario. They're they're typically very high achieving people. They're the kind of people that the, their boss knows you can throw anything at them; they'll always get it done. You know, sort of give the 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 most work to the busiest person because they're going to get it done, and that's a superpower in some ways. But by the time it gets to burnout, it's become uh, a kryptonite. Well. Um, so this, this superpower of being able to take on more and more and more, assuming more and more responsibility, the problem with that is that you typically get rewarded in some way or another. If, mm -hmm. Even if it isn't financial, you get a lot of reinforcement, people telling you how great you are, what a hero you are. Um, and a lot of people really thrive on that, not just the, um, the increases in pay, hopefully, and responsibility in a, in a company, but really more the accolades and the, the positive feedback. The problem with that superpower is that it does turn to kryptonite in, in most people's lives, particularly as they age. They don't have the same ability that they did when at 50 that they did when they were 20, number one. But they also now they have families. They've got a lot of responsibilities. And, you know, as young people, we're, when we don't have families, let's say, or don't even have a significant other, then, yeah, we can pull all nighters. We can stay all night. We can do all that work. But as time goes on and our lives expand and become more rich and complex, it simply isn't possible anymore. But if that's your go-to, if that's your one-trick pony, you know, if that's your hack, if that's your superpower, then I found so often it tends to backfire. And what happens is that that never saying no, which was positive early in your career, turns out to be deadly later in your career. And so a lot of what I help people get through is to realize 
you know, if you're 20 years into a career, you're 40 now instead of 20, um, the difference is that the value you're adding in your company ought to be based more on wisdom, experience, on being able to make a couple of great decisions a year that, that really move the needle for your company rather than just being a workhorse like you were when you were in your 20s. But we get stuck sometimes with things that, you know, the, the good is the enemy of the best, as they say. And so we get stuck sometimes in these superpowers because they've worked. But we don't realize that I've really grown past that. And I need to now as a 20-year veteran in a given business, I need to be able to add value in a different way. It has more to do with wisdom and experience than it does with just sheer output. But it's difficult for people to say, no, most of the people that we work with in our program have a hard time setting boundaries, have a hard time saying no, uh, in part because saying yes has been the key to their career to this point. Would you say, Scott, that a lot of people who go through burnout, specifically with what you were talking about, are more of people pleasers? Yes. Right? And, and, and like you said, they don't set the boundaries where they actually have to say no. Because when you think that, and, and I spoke about this earlier today on, on my other show, The Sheer Show, when we think about when I say no, I'm saying yes to something. And when I'm saying yes to something, I'm saying no to another. So whatever choice you go with, remember that there's an opposite to it, right? Everything that we do, there's an opposite reaction to it. You know, if we go up the stairs, eventually we're going to have to come down the stairs or jump out the building, whichever one comes right. first. Exactly. Right? But and, and I think burnout is jumping out the building, right? Without necessarily, you're, you're at the top, you don't know what to do. And when we think about, let's talk about going up the stairs, going up 30 flights, and then how do you get down? Is there an easy way instead of taking the stairs? Yeah. But maybe you need a coach like Scott to say, hey, let me show you where the elevator is and let's ease our way right. down. Right. Because there, there are patterns, there are intentions that we can work with to bring us back to a somewhat of a normalcy. And I don't believe there's anything normal about our world. I don't think since I've been born, there never has been anything normal. I don't know about you, but in the world I live in, nothing has ever been normal for yeah. me. It's always been a challenge. And can I tell you? I love a challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is the thing, too, you know, is that sometimes as, as entrepreneurs, we wonder why we're so exhausted, but we forget there's a big part of us that just loves the action, you know, loves the uh, being on the edge, loves not knowing exactly where we're going, loves the thrill of that, loves the adrenaline uh, and the cortisol pumping through our, our veins. You know, you don't have to be a drug addict to be addicted to your own drugs, to your to the chemicals in your body, right? And so, you know, that's the thing that we sometimes forget is that we've, especially, and, and it's not just entrepreneurs, but it's also, it's everybody, right? Uh, if we're working in a business and we get off on having people tell us how wonderful we are, a lot of us have never really learned how to have a difficult conversation. That's why we spend a lot of time in the burnout breakthrough course teaching that. And and the fear is, and this is true, whether you're a worker in a business or an entrepreneur, the fear that a lot of us have is if I ever said no, I would either get fired if I'm an employee or as an entrepreneur, my customers are all going to walk away. If I ever tell them no about anything, I've worked with so coached so many people that have said, no, I can't say no. I have to say yes, you know, to this, because if I don't, they're going to, I'm going to lose them. 
uh, in my life. And, and this tends also to your earlier point, it tends to be not just in business, but also at home. And so there are often uh, scenarios at home where it's impossible to have a tough conversation, whether with your significant other or with children or other family members or friends. And so that's one of the common denominators that we've seen. There is people pleasing for sure. And there's just a basic lack of skills when it comes to having what we perceive to be difficult situations, which are really just normal, human, reasonable, sane uh, conversations to say, to your point earlier, yeah, I can't do five things at once. Uh, no one can do five things at once. So which one is you want me to do first? That kind yeah. of a conversation to a lot of people we work with sounds like, oh, I can't say that. That's fatal. They'll fire me or my customers will all walk away. And uh, it takes some experience and sort of trial by fire to realize that isn't true. But it feels inside like that's fatal. I can't do that. Well, one of the things that I do now that I used to not do before is I used to accept every customer right. that came to me and it didn't matter. Exactly. And I was trying to please all my customers. And now I don't do that anymore. And I have people come to me and they're like, well, we want to be here. I'm like, well, first we got to find out if I want you here. I don't know if I want the headaches that you're going to bring yeah. me, you know, because it's, it's my quality of life. So where do you choose? Where do you draw the line? And, and the line is, what quality do you want to have in your life? Where do you draw the line? And how important is it for you to look back on your years and say, man, I should have not accepted that person. I should have not taken that opportunity. And so what if it costs me this amount of money, but I'm happier because, yeah, I didn't take that opportunity. I didn't do this. So I did do that. And therefore, my life is something I can be proud of. Some, the choices I make today are going to reflect my tomorrows so that my tomorrows, I can look back on my todays, right? And go, wow, yeah. that. I did the right thing by me. Because, you know, and, and we talk about this all the time and, and so many podcasts I've done and, and have been part of and have had guests on. It's, it's the oxygen mask that comes down off the airplane, right? When they, they do that thing, it's, it's always take care of you first. And there is no shame in that, because if you care for the person next to you, you have to take care of you first, always, no matter what. It, do, it can be an infant. You still need to take care of you first. Don't put it on the mask on them first, because what if you're not there to help them? Now what? Now you're both Exactly. Done. Yeah. I've, I've really found that to be true. And I, I got myself into so much trouble by saying yes to clients I should never have said yes to. I, I like to say the only thing worse than no clients is bad clients. And uh, it's really true because nothing will eat up your business faster. I owned an advertising agency for a long time before selling it to my partners. And, and what I would do out of fear, my partners were right to criticize me for this, was I would say yes to clients that had no business being in our in our company from the standpoint that they were impossible to deal with, had unrealistic expectations, were toxic as people. But out of fear of having no clients, I thought bad clients are better than no clients. But at the end of the day, you know, I was the president of the agency. The people that really had to be on the firing line with these with these toxic people were my team. They suffered. And, uh, you know, I just it got to a point where I was in danger of losing some of my very best people and, and ruining my business. But again, I, it was all out of fear. And so much of burnout really 
comes out of that fear at its core. You know, it's the fear that um, I'm not going to survive, that unless I say yes all the time or unless I continue to suffer every day, I'm going to lose everything. And, you know, again, that's that problem. Our brain is great at changing the tire, splitting the atom, as I say. But when we've got a thought in our mind that says, I can't say no to anything because I will starve to death if I do, you know, the brain can't do, do much about that. The, the brain's normal reaction is either to try to make that thought go away, which our brains can't do, the, our thoughts are here to stay, or to avoid those thoughts uh, through avoidant behavior, whether it's social media or shopping, retail therapy, drugs, alcohol, whatever. But neither trying to fix a thought or make it go away or avoiding a thought is going to help. In fact, what that does is make the thought come back even stronger and more compulsively. It's very much like the uh, obsessive compulsive disorder of hand washing, for example. The illusion is the more I wash my hands, the cleaner they will be and I will feel better. But unfortunately, cleaning our hands reinforces the, the idea that they're dirty. And, it, and actually cleaning them makes us, makes us more and more conscious of how dirty they are, not how clean they are. So this is the problem. We have to take a very different approach than than our brains are kind of normally and instinctively wanting to behave. Yeah, one of the things that when we think about burnout, right, it's it's also habits. And you just talked about a habit, right? Hand washing. One of the shows, if you remember, Everybody Loves Running, his brother used to always put the spoon to his mouth before he ate or the fork to his mouth before he ate. So it's a habit. So when we create habits, right, habits can save us or can hurt us, right? Habits can change our lives drastically. And and sometimes getting into the habit of saying no, but not to everything. Of, of course. course. Right. When we think about the actions that we're taking, every action that we take, like I said before, is going to have one effect or another on our lives. It's either going to bring in the positivity or the negativity. And when we continually do something that's going to be negative, it will impact us. And the other thing that I, I believe burnout is, besides pleasing everybody, I think it's, I'm not good enough. Yes. Oh, yeah. In that Absolutely. Way, that imposter syndrome of, I'm not good enough, or I don't classify, or these different things, or maybe someone told you you're not good enough. And it's that self-belief <sighs> that we have to start to nourish. That, that I am beautiful, I am capable, I am possible, I am creative, I am whatever. But you have to start with you first. You have to look in the mirror and get that sharp image. And no matter how many people are trying to pound down that door to tell you otherwise, you got to lock that door tight to your mind and, and be positive, positive, positive. And I think that probably is one of the things that you... Maybe I might be wrong in saying this, but that's probably one of the things you're teaching people how to get ahead, how to come out of that burnout. Right. Well, the, yeah, the, that thought, you really put your finger on it. Um, yeah, that, that whole idea of I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not handsome enough, I'm not charming enough, all of that is, is very, very common to the burnout person. And this is, this is what I say, you know, I mean, again, if, it's, if we have to fire somebody or hire somebody or whatever, You know, there's an objective, concrete set of actions we need to take outside of us. But when the problem is in our minds, when the problem is really this pervasive thought that I'm not something enough, what we tend to do as human beings is, first of all, we try to fix that. And what we try to do is to be enough. 
The problem is enough is such a, there's no way to be enough. And so this is where we, this is one of the biggest triggers for burnout is we try to fix our mind just like we change a tire. We figure, well, okay, if I'm not enough, I'll be enough. And the only way I can be enough is I'll work harder. I'll try harder. I'll strive more. And unfortunately, that doesn't help because it's very much like the hand-washing metaphor. The, our brains are so smart, they know that we're trying hard enough so that we, we're trying harder and harder so that we will feel enough. But our brains are so smart, they know that. And what it really reinforces isn't that we're enough, but that we're not enough. And so the question is, well, then what do I do? Right. This was my frustration. Uh, you know, I was almost crying out. Well, what do I do if I can't talk myself into being enough and I can't work myself into being enough? And, and also avoiding the topic doesn't help through all the different ways that we avoid things. But the question is, what do I do? And fortunately, thank God, there are some evidence based practices, uh, techniques and tools that really do solve that problem. But they're counterintuitive. It's not about fixing things the way our brain wants to or avoiding things. It really comes down to accepting that our brain is having these thoughts in the same way that, you know, that our pancreas is producing insulin or whatever it produces, right? Our brains produce thought. It's, a, it's an organ. It's another organ. And, we, and part of what our course teaches is to have a dispassionate relationship with our mind so that we don't take our mind so seriously. Uh, so that we don't take our thoughts so seriously. And we begin to establish a distance. Our brains are here to help us. And in a lot of ways, they're incredible. Again, changing a tire, splitting an atom, there's nothing better than our brain. But when it comes to disturbing thoughts and emotions like not being enough uh, or I can't say no, that kind of thing, our brains can't solve themselves because the way that they want to solve problems actually make the problems worse. So the, the core practice of the burnout breakthrough process is to form a different relationship with our thoughts. There are some specific techniques that do that um, and can do that actually rather quickly and, and permanently and give you the confidence that the thought of not being enough can really be in the rearview mirror. You can really get it behind you for good. But the only way to recover from burnout is, you know, and I'm going to simplify uh, this process dramatically, but... The first part is to relax and release the tension that you experience all day long throughout the day, because it, it isn't possible. What we do in America is we say, I'll, I'll hold my breath for 50 weeks, and then I'll have two weeks of vacation. And our bodies simply can't recover that way. We have to be releasing uh, stress and anxiety throughout the day. We have specific practices to do that. But the other part of it in our minds is to begin to realize Fighting my thoughts or avoiding my thoughts is going to make it worse. And unfortunately, those are the two things most people know to do. And we, we keep trying and trying through work and worry or avoidance to make these thoughts go away, but it makes it worse. So instead, we practice uh, through various very practical, pragmatic techniques how to accept the fact that our thoughts are, are going to come and then they're going to go, very much like the challenges you were talking about earlier. We have to begin to... Uh, kind of make friends with our own minds. Our minds are trying to help us, but it, it simply, our minds simply don't help us when it comes to burnout. So we have to try a different approach or we're going to be trapped in this never-ending cycle and we'll never get out of burnout. Yeah, yeah. You know, Scott, let me ask you. I, I, put, I put up a link on, on the screen. It's burnoutbreakthrough.com slash Raphael. What is that link taking us to? All right, it's, it's five shifts that we've discovered are are have been proven to break through burnout 
And this reflects not only my own journey through burnout, but also uh, having worked with hundreds and hundreds of business people, executives, and and others uh, over the last five years. And it's basically five principles that we've discovered that are proven to break through burnout and to do so quickly and, and more important to do it permanently, to have the confidence that not only can you break through burnout and you can do that remarkably quickly, but you can also have the confidence that it's not going to come back, that you have the tools. So, uh, yeah, if you'll follow that link, you'll basically see a, a masterclass in the five basic shifts we've discovered are proven to break through burnout. Nice. Talk to me about what you did in 2007 when you helped families deal with PTSD, because that's a different animal, if you will. Sure. Um, but it is, is, it is a very traumatic experience for somebody to go through that, and especially not only the person, but the people around exactly. them. Exactly. To even see someone, so sometimes it's difficult to help them out. Why did you start that? And tell us a little sure. bit about that. And then we want to talk about your book. I know, you, I know you're limited on time today because you're super busy and I appreciate you being here. But I also want to talk about your book. So if you can just give us a quick yeah on PTSD. Uh, in 2007, um, you know, we were really in the, in the thick of the war in uh, Afghanistan and in Iraq. And, and people were beginning to come home. Uh, and many of them, uh, about 35% of them, military people were returning with post-traumatic stress disorder. And I didn't know anything really about this until one day I met a mom. I always assumed that it's the combatants only that are affected by PTSD. And it's true that approximately a third of those returning from, from a uh, war zone are uh, have post-traumatic stress disorder. But what I didn't realize is the effect that that has on families. So I met a, a mom as part of, in those days, I was in the advertising agency business. And I met a woman that I worked with all the time. And uh, she told me that someday she has, I asked her for a proposal for one of my clients. She said, uh, I have good days and bad days. I'll get, I'll get it to you as soon as I can. And I asked her what she meant. And she told me the story of her son, who was a Marine captain and one of the first to be deployed to Afghanistan in those days. And when he left, he told her the way Marines tell their moms that if you get an, uh, a phone call, it means I'm injured, but I'm OK. But if you get a knock at the door and there's a dress Marine uniform there, that means that I'm, I'm gone. And she didn't realize it, but she started to slowly slip into what is sometimes called virtual PTSD or indirect PTSD. And every time the phone would ring, she would jump out of her skin and she would keep the blinds shut on her windows of her house because she was she was afraid when she would see a van, it would yeah. be, it'd be mm -hmm. terrifying to her. And so she uh, slowly but surely, without realizing it, acquired the symptoms of PTSD herself. One day, unfortunately, uh, there was a knock at the door. The Marine uniform was there to tell her that her son was gone. He was a Silver Star uh, honoree for heroism, but he was gone. And, and she just dissolved. And kind of went into a blackout and tried to to uh, keep the Marine from was closing the door and wanted thought if she didn't let the Marine in her home that her son would still be alive. She really kind of snapped. And I didn't realize that that happened. And the more study that I did, the more I realized that although a third of, of returning veterans uh, from combat zones um, typically have post-traumatic stress disorder, but very few of them, less than a third of those will ever get treatment. Uh, at the VA for a variety of reasons. And so we created an organization called at EaseUSA.org uh, to treat 
not just the combatants who didn't feel comfortable going to the VA, but also especially the family members who were also affected uh, because trauma is one of those things that actually is kind of contagious, isn't the right word, but just to simplify, it's kind of contagious. And, um, and it affects actually more people who aren't in combat than are in combat. For every one person comes back with PTSD, it affects at least two other people who are, who are not combatants, but who love the veteran. And so um, we created this organization and worked with Tel Aviv University and um, the Israeli government to create some treatment applications that were specifically designed to treat combat PTSD. That, that's incredible. And the fact that, what a story. Oh, my gosh. Not only was this poor woman suffering this whole time, and wow, what an effect it must have had on her for, for a long time. I got to know a lot of a lot of parents uh, of children who were affected by PTSD, and it really is so tragic. And you know, the parents and the girlfriends, the the you know, the husbands and wives of the military people are not are not covered by Veterans Administration benefits, and that was part of the reason we created Addie's USA was to make sure that they got the care that they needed. Yeah, it is. It is. It was really eye opening and very tragic. You know, there are I don't know how many suicides a day uh, from from veterans. Uh, I used to know exactly how many. It was like one an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. It's. It's really. It's. It's so so tragic, especially for people who have given their lives, uh, their hearts, and their minds for our country uh, to return and to be to be so disabled. Such a shame, such a shame. And, and I'm so happy that, that you decided to make a difference, to help, you know, create an organization where people can find the help, right? So they can do things, so that they can cope. Because I, I think the first thing that before we get to recovery, it's learning how to cope with what it is, right? First, even with that, and PTSD is learning how to cope with it and then feeling how to not only cope, but come out to the other side, right? That's right. And the good news is, is that there really is recovery, but it's from post-traumatic stress disorder, not just for combatants, but for family members. But it's more the exception than the rule, unfortunately. And I just feel that we really owe these these families anything they want, basically. Right. Oh, I agree 100%. And, you know, I thank all the veterans out there who did serve our military, who, and even the families whose kids went out there and never came home. That's tragic. You know, my brother's a Marine. He's been a Marine since he's 18. He's still a Marine. He's in his 60s. So, <laughs> and, and you know, the fact that he he's on the reserve, but he's still- He'll a always be a Marine. Yeah, exactly. He'll always be a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Once a military person, I think you're always a military. Because when, when your country calls for your service, there's no thought. There's no, oh, I got it. No. That's right. You just go, right? And even though I was never in the military, if I got called, I would run up there because to me, this is the best country in the world. This is my country. I, I didn't, I was not born here. I'm Colombian. But to me, America, United States is my country, right? One of the things, let, let's talk before, I know you have to go very shortly. Talk to me about your book. What inspired you to write your book? And then I want to tell you, I need a signed copy. Uh, you got it, it, man. <laughs> uh, I'm writing a, another book right now called The Blessings of Burnout. And uh, it's mm-hmm. basically my, my own story of recovery from burnout. 
but really the gratitude that I have for the fact that I was able to break through burnout. And also, uh, it really gave me a new appreciation for my life, uh, for having been through that that um, hell uh, and come out the other side. I, I didn't think I would be able to. I thought I would be permanently in burnout. And uh, so I'm very, very grateful for that. And there have been just an incredible number of blessings that, that have resulted from that. But the book that I think you're referring to is called Playing Big, and I will send you a copy. And uh, I wrote it basically as I was uh, launching my, my coaching career. And I wanted to talk about that kind of my journey. We, we talked before the show about, you know, it, it really is a journey to be a coach and to be an effective one um, for our clients. It requires a lot of it takes a lot of guts to do it in the first place to just get started. But it also takes, um, we have to get through a lot of experiences, good and bad with our clients. We're really putting ourselves on the firing line. At the end of the day, our clients have to do the work when we're coaching people. But we're, if we're, I think if we're doing our jobs, uh, we're right there with them. We're in their corner. And, um, and so, and, and mostly it has to do with, gradually getting the getting the sense that I am capable of so much more than I thought I was capable of. I mean, if I if I have to boil down the power of coaching, certainly the coaching experience experiences I've had with my own coaches is that that they've helped me to see and believe that I'm capable of so much more than I thought I was capable of. And to be in people's corner that way is not a small I mean, first of all, it's an honor, but it's also a responsibility. And um, so playing big is about that process of of really living into the potential that we all have, which can sometimes be kind of daunting, daunting or even frightening. And and sometimes, you know, as you described, going through challenges of the beginning, middle and the end, it can feel sometimes like we're not going to get there. But to hold that space for our clients is really our job to play big ourselves as coaches, but especially to to encourage and inspire our clients to play big for them to realize how who they really are, which I would say is a bit of God. That's that's what playing big is all about. And I definitely will send you a signed copy. It'd be my honor to do that. Uh, I appreciate that. It, you know, and, and I can't wait to read it because, you know, we've had such an amazing conversation. And I know that very shortly, in a couple of days, you're going to be on Heroes Rising with me again. So you're going to be there. You're going to be talking about the impact that you are bringing to the world because I appreciate you. And I'm so grateful for the time that you've given me and my audience because this is a huge topic. This is something that won't go away. And actually, I, I started a new show this morning, and I'd love to bring you on that one. It's called The Seer Show. I, I have my, my, I don't want to call her a co-host, but maybe it is. We're, we're both hosting it, so she's my co-host. And, and The Seer Show, and we are talking about all different aspects of how to make your life better. And one of the topics was burnout. One of the topics is leadership. One of the things is owning your own self. Right. When we think about all the things that we can do to make an impact in the world and allowing us to be beautiful as we are, we were made beautiful. And it's sometimes it's it's other people who throw dirt on top of us. Right. What do you what is a diamond? Right. It, so it, we got to polish, polish, polish. And the more we polish, the brighter we shine. That's it. 
Thank you. Yeah, I've really enjoyed I've really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, I love your show. I love what you're doing. It's very important work. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Any 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 comments that or re- remarks or suggestions that you can give anyone before you have to go? Just, you know, the main thing is that if you are burned out, I want you to know that there is absolutely hope. I wouldn't have been able to say that five years ago, but I can tell you for sure. It's been in the rearview mirror now for me for five years, and it's like it was someone like it happened to somebody else. But the things that we normally do oh. that our brain is naturally designed to do make it worse. So if you want to get some help, check out check out the link here, and uh, you can really get out of this quickly if you want to. Yeah. Burn, burnoutbreakthrough.com slash Raphael. Everybody, do me a favor. Go to the link. Check it out. And if you're catching this on the replay, the link will be there. So, Scott, thank you so much. You have an amazing and blessed day, my friend. Thank you very much. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.